Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This is the Real Estate Podcast, the intersection between the latest trends in real estate and its impact on our everyday lives. We're your hosts, Alex Norman. And Jamie Blonde, and you've come to the right location. The real estate starts now. In today's episode, A Material Difference, we explore the intersection between real estate and the importance of the materials used in construction projects. Today's guest is Cameo Morningstar, East Coast sales manager at Terrazzo and Marble Supply Company, a supplier of Terrazzo and resinous flooring and natural stone building materials. Cameo, welcome to the show. Welcome to the show, Cameo. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. So, Cameo, tell us a bit about yourself. Well, um, I was born in the woods of Oregon um, under under three shooting stars, which is how I got my last name, Morningstar. My parents were living on a hippie commune. Um, they were very young. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, let's see, yada, yada, yada. Now I live in New York City. And um, I moved here in 2002 with dreams of grandeur. Uh, to pursue uh, the the stage. Actually, my my main goal was to be on Saturday Night Live and or write for Saturday Night Live. Um, and now, you know, dreams do come true. I am I'm working in the terrazzo business. <laughs> nice. So, how did you go from theater into terrazzo? That is a good question. I mean, um, on the one hand, I hated waiting tables. Um, and <laughs> for me, uh, when I first got to New York, I had to make a living and. When you're when you're trying to do auditions, waiting tables is the way to go. Um, and I kind of quickly decided that I wanted something more stable. Um, and there are so many skills that you learn and develop in theater that are transferable to a variety of industries. But sales is a really natural one because to be good at sales, you have to really be a good active listener, observe, really good at observing humans, humans, um, human nature. And you know the ability to 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 kind of relate to a lot of different types of people. So I found it a really natural transition. It's all about connection, right? Making the connection from the stage to the audience, and vice versa, right? Exactly. exactly. Well, you know, there's nothing more stable than being in the stone business. <laughs> but so, how did you? How well, did a floor you a floor is as stable as you can get. At least I, you hope so in your apartment. <laughs> Basically, so as long as you're not sleeping on it. But anyway, so the the how did you find Terrazzo Marble Supply Company? And tell us a bit about the company, what you do, and what yeah. they do, what they provide. Thank you. That's um. So I had been in the materials. Um, I call it, I guess it's called architectural specification sales for a good twelve to fifteen years before coming to Terrazzo Marble Supply. Um, I had uh, just been laid off from my my role as North American business development manager for a, um, a subdivision of a company that was going bankrupt, that had been in bankruptcy and then was reorganizing. So I call it six months of glorious severance, but during my six months of glorious severance, um, one of the architects who I had developed a really great relationship with at Skidmore Owings and Merrill, one of our uh, leading architecture firms in the United States, he, um, my, who the gentleman who ended up being my boss and mentor was in the office and they were looking for a sales rep. And um, the architect said, Hey, you got to call this woman. We love her. Uh, she's great. And um, he called me. He said, Hey, I, I just gave your name to a gentleman. I have no idea if, you, if it'd be a good job or what the salary is or if you even want it. 
And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I don't want to be in this job. I didn't want to be in sales anymore. I was like, I was actually took a podcast boot camp. So I was like, I'll be a podcast star. But um, anyways, I, I interviewed with David, uh, David Lottadio, and he told me about the industry. And I just fell in love with the way he t- described it. It's such a unique niche industry. So then I interviewed with the company and fell in love with everybody there. It's a really unique uh, company in, in the sense that we're very uh, small originally family owned, now 100% employee owned company. Um, so it just be, it became a really natural fit. And then the Terrazzo industry itself, just, I mean, it's, 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 it's a lot of fun. Well, you have a background uh, in everything from plumbing to insulation. I mean, you mm-hmm. really, you really have a terrific materials background. When I listen to you talk, and I hear you talking about the architects, and I think about you're talking about flooring, what's being chosen for a floor in a home or, or, mm-hmm. or, in, or in a commercial property, right? So, so is your is your customer the architect, or is your customer the person paying for the construction? Who really is it that you have to sell on your product being chosen uh, versus something else or some other competitor? That's that's an excellent question because there's a lot of moving parts. Um, we 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 refer to the subcontractor as our customer when we're talking about terrazzo or resinous flooring. So they, because they're the ones who are ultimately going to procure it and install it and who we're going to have to support throughout the entire construction process. Um, not only that, but we need to have a rapport with that, for that customer, um, already, uh, because especially with Terrazzo, it's an incredibly, um, technical product. It's very hard. It, you have to know what you're doing to install it and not every contractor can. So we actually only sell to contractors who are in the National Terrazzo Mosaic Association or have equivalent experience. Um, but the architect is crucial because they're the ones who ultimately decide what material gets specified. And, and my rep's goal, so I manage the reps on the East Coast, the rep's goal is to build that relationship with an architect, educate them. It's a highly edu- technical material, like I said, so there's a lot of education involved. Educate them so that when they're thinking about flooring, they go to Terrazzo. And when they think of Terrazzo, they go to us. Um, and then we go into specification. And then hopefully when it goes out to bid, the subcontractor buys it from us. But it's not guaranteed until the customer buys it. So I, I love that. And I just want to kind of unpack that a bit for our listeners, just kind of get a better understanding of the materials. But I have to say, I'm so glad that you're in the uh, um, in the uh, in the raw materials and, and construction business. Podcasting is a very difficult art, though. You don't need to be educated. You guys should wake up and do a podcast. Let me tell you, it's 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 uh, it's a lot of fun, but super, but super easy. Um, so so let's just talk about the materials a bit, right? We talked about marble um, and terrazzo. Um, yeah, I think people forget often that building materials like marble and terrazzo are actually natural resources that we find in the environment. And, you know, they're and they're not. They're not infinite, they're finite, right? Mm-hmm. Wood, stone, marble, glass actually comes from natural resources that deplete over time. You know, sand, for example, is used to make concrete and glass, but, but you know, where glass can be made from traditional sand, uh, concrete needs to be a certain type of sand. So tell us about uh, where marble um, and terrazzo comes from, right? I, I, I have these visions of, of marble coming from a, of a large hole in the ground in Greece someplace. But, I, but tell us right, where it comes from, how yeah. a terrazzo is made, and, and how it's used and why. Okay. Um, and, then, well, and, why you're, and why you're excited about the category. Like what yeah, what, what yeah. excites well, first, you about this business? The first, I guess the first thing to do is explain exactly what terrazzo is, because there's definitely 
some misconception out there, especially um, when it comes to tiles. So there's there are uh, materials out there called terrazzo tiles, where you can just buy it off the shelf and put it on your wall or your floor. That's not what we're talking about when we talk about terrazzo. Um, so terrazzo dates back to the 1500s. Um, I mean, it could go even further back, but uh, the during the Renaissance period, the Italians of the Friuli region of Italy are credited with uh, reinventing and rediscovering this art form. And it was, they referred to it as the poor man's mosaic, because if you know Italy, you know that mosaics are everywhere and they are beautiful and intricate, handmade um, murals. And um, it's a high level of artistic skill required. So they started um, incorporating pebbles from rivers mixing it with like a mud, almost like today's maybe today's uh, cement and um, spreading it out on floors and then hand rolling it to create one seamless uh, floor. And they used it often on terraces and sidewalks. And so you see it in the, the sidewalks of Italy are paved in terrazzo. Um, they continued to refine it. Uh, and then at the turn of the century, terrazzo artisans were incredibly high in demand in the United States, especially if you look at um, buildings from the 20s here in New York, in Chicago, in um, any of your major cities uh, that were being um, highly constructed around that time, they actually were bringing uh, artisans over from Italy specifically to Le Terrazzo. And what's really interesting is a lot of the companies that are still around today, the major Terrazzo uh, contractors have lineage that goes back to this time. So a lot of our big customers their great grandfather came over, started the Terrazzo company, passed it down to their kids and to their kids and to their kids. Apprenticeship type of an industry, like kind of that old school, old world type of apprenticeship. Totally. And there's so much pride um, within it. It's a very, like I said, it's a niche product, but it's it, it, it requires a lot of skill. And so there's a lot of pride in it. So um, today's modern Terrazzo is either going to be a cement-based matrix, we call it a matrix, what holds together all the little pieces of marble, or it's going to be an epoxy-based matrix. And 90% of the industry has gone the way of epoxy for a variety of reasons. Main thing being the skill level of a lot of these artisans, they're only being trained in epoxy. Construction timelines, I mean, everything's design builds, so we do not have the time. Uh, the cement terrazzo takes a very long time to cure, um, it's very it's very thick, so you need you need a really deep elevation figured into your construction, so you couldn't use it in renovations. Um, whereas epoxy terrazzo, it cures in eight hours. You can do these big wide panels without needing to have um, divider strips breaking it up. You can create curvilinear designs. You can use bright colors. You can bring in recycled glass. So today's terrazzo is primarily epoxy, and we manufacture epoxy and then supply the marble. So the marble comes from Turkey, it comes from Italy, it comes from the United States. We have quarries here in Texas. Um, and then on the more residential side of our business, especially in the Midwest, where we're supplying beautiful slabs for um, anything from your uh, your beach house to your uh, pied-à-terre to restaurants, boutique hotels, um, that's coming from Brazil, it's coming from Italy, um, it's coming from, again, the parts of the United States. It really depends so, on the time. So, 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 yeah, so that's a really good point, right? I think I love the origin story of, of Terrazzo. I love um, the, the, the global nature of the, the natural resources for this material. 
But it sounds like eventually, if we continue to use it at the rate that we're building, we'll probably run out at some point in time. I love Terrazzo, the idea of it, in a sense, because it, in, in, it's, it feels like it's naturally sustainable. So you're not just taking a large slab out of the ground. You've actually taken pieces of marble and pieces of other materials. Pieces of a large slab in the ground. Completely different. Much better for the environment. Right. But I would imagine <laughs> if you had like a marble, you know, a lot of marble in your in your um in your bathroom, for example, and then you wanted to change it out, like that marble goes somewhere. I mean maybe does it does it go into a terrazzo factory and then you guys come uh, I mean, well, hold on is that, is that is are, is marble recyclable? Is that what you're saying? You're recycling the marble? Technically, you could. Technically, you could do something like that. It is a little bit Realistically, that's not how it works. Realistically, the logistics... Cost $42 million, more, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, architects often ask that. That happens a lot where they have, especially like a landmark building that they want to renovate and draws out. It's like, can we take this beautiful Verdi Alpi that's in the floor and crush it down and use it for the terrazzo? Technically, yes. Do their budgets allow for like having it taken to a crushing facility and then paying to have it come back to the facility? Not usually. Um, but the answer is technically, yes, you can recycle that. What makes Terrazzo sustainable actually is the life cost analysis because it the, is. The, sorry, uh, the what? The life cost analysis. So, how long it will last in the building. That's where Terrazzo becomes sustainable, is because it will last the life of the building, if not longer. And this is because of the way it's engineered with the structural slab to allow for movement so that it doesn't crack. And also the fact that it does not have joints. So like tiles, you, you lay a tile next to one another, it's gonna have a joint. That joint is a vulnerable area where water, moisture, et cetera, can get into your structural slab, which can then, you know, the, the building's only as good as your foundation and the terrazzo can't hold the building together, but it can protect that slab. And the fact that it doesn't have these joints makes it very easy to clean. It doesn't break down. So it looks good for the long term. So that's really where you get your sustainability in Toronto. All right, so let's talk about the industry uh, uh, today with everything going on uh, due to COVID, including uh, supply chain issues and inflation. So let's talk about the supply chain issue. How exactly does your product get from get produced and moved from, from your company to the site where it's going to be put on? And then maybe from that, we can scrap a little bit on what's going on with the supply chain. Yeah. So, well, we, we start with raw materials and the majority of our raw material is coming from Texas. So for us, the Texas freeze, we can talk about later, had a really big impact on, on, on the cost and the availability. Uh, the raw materials are, are used to create the epoxies. Um, they, uh, the, the marble, we, we, we tend to stock a good amount of marble chip, uh, especially the very popular marble chips. Um, to Alex's point earlier, yes, it is like, it's not a finite resource. And one of the issues we, ha we have is that if an architect's working on a project in 2010 and they find a, they get to a, a sample that they absolutely love and it contains like Georgia white marble. Well, Georgia white marble in 2010 might look very different in 2022. And now it's like, instead of beautiful and pure white, it's like a little bit gray. So it changes over time. And that's one of the things we have to stay ahead of. Um, other than that, um, it's it's a matter of of working with the timelines of the construction timeline. So our we'll know that a project is in the works. We'll be managing it from a supply chain on that um, regard, waiting for it to go out to bid, watching who's bidding it when it. But, gets but how does it get? Is it on a truck? How is it actually being moved? How are you moving your product to the site where it's being where it's being de deployed? Right. So the, the product itself is being moved on trucks, which is okay. obviously a big 
hassle right now because I think that we're like 80,000 truck drivers short or something in the country. I think that's an actual number that I heard. Um, right. So that's uh, with with the labor shortage and truck dri- and truck drivers combined with the increasing prices of gas. I mean, that it's it's become incredibly expensive to to transport lately. But yeah, it's going on trucks. Um, you know, the the stuff coming from China. So a lot of our competitors use a majority of raw material that usually is coming from China. So that's been um, not to jump ahead, but that's been impacted by supply chain. Uh, we have distribution centers in. Um, California, Gold uh, Garden Grove, so we have a branch there. So anything on the West Coast is going to be coming from the Garden Grove, Grove branch. Our main headquarters is in outside of Chicago, Illinois. So that that's where a lot of supply is coming from. And then we have Baltimore on the East Coast to supply the East Coast. So we have we have um, nationwide distribution, and for the most part, we try to use the closest uh, distribution point. Is supply is a supply chain issue? the problem that we're seeing in terms of scarcity. I know that people who are looking to uh, renovate their homes, build new homes, um, large and small construction projects, both residential and commercial, are suffering from a rising cost of materials. Is that coming from the supply chain issue that you mentioned, or is there some other reason? You know, it, 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 it's, it's all, it's like a perfect storm, Alex. And it, it really did. I mean, we, we were operating on a quote, just in time kind of economy uh, in everything we've done, you know, not only in the construction world, but I think all of our industries and what happened with the pandemic is that we got, we got a big bottleneck of, of a backup with the ports. I mean, there's very few building materials that don't have some sort of polymer involved. And when it comes to polymer-based materials, um, uh, like I said, a large majority are coming from China or from Texas. So, so we were already having a problem with COVID. And then in February of last year, if you remember, there was that horrible freeze in Texas, which completely shut down factories. Um, and that's where 90% of our raw materials are coming from. So then that added to the bottleneck. Then you have the lack of truck drivers or lack of labor. So that's adding another little uh, variable to it. And it all kind of comes together. And once you once you start having that disconnect, it's then a domino effect. So first it was, okay, we can't get the, the stuff to make the epoxy. Then, okay, we can make epoxy, but now we can't get buckets to put them in. Okay, we can get buckets to put them in, but now we don't have a truck to put that on. So it's, right, like, it's right. one and then, the other. And then meanwhile, still people wanted to, like everyone all of a sudden at once wanted to redo their kitchen. Exactly. <laughs> their I, I, I was just going to say, because at the same time as you had a supply issue, you had a demand issue where you had a great migration due to COVID that condensed basically five years of real estate sales in two. And every time there's a sale and there's movement, people want to renovate, people want to change, people want to build. And so I think the demand escalated at the same time as the supply got constrained. And so, I mean, I'm just looking at some numbers. I think I think the last thing I saw with the, the, the PPI, producer price index for materials that are inputs to construction, is up something like between 15 and 18% year to date, up 23% since March of 2020. So it, it's not insignificant. And that is that in addition to the price, the prices that people are paying for the homes in the apartments because of the escalation of pricing because of the demand for homes and for movement on top of the construction it must be, be an enormous ticket at the end of the day right now. Yeah, yeah. And it's just just for another little statistic for you. So um, a container to come over for us uh, used to be around $1,500. Now it's 15,000 and upwards of 20,000. Like that, 
because it's basic economics. Once that you have that kind of a demand, they can charge these absorbent prices and you have to pay them. So those who know me know that I'm a sci-fi uh, nut. And, you know, whenever I, I hear what, you, what you're saying, I think back to, I don't know, you name a movie where um, someone complains that they overmined the moon and the moon cracked and then the earth got destroyed, right? Or it, the it, resources were, 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 were stripped and then, um, then you know, the future the, the hat looks this way and the, the world gets destroyed. Is there anyone or any organization or any authority that is preventing um, companies like yourself uh, and the industry from overmining uh, these natural resources that eventually will go go away. I mean, I feel like the more stone that's taken out of the earth has to have some impact on the earth. Right. I don't know. Call me that crazy. is a really good question. Okay, so there's there's a lot of things um, that the architectural community in general has been doing for the, a very long time, ever since I've been involved. I mean, I remember when there was um, a... Uh, an effort on the architecture, I think it was through LEED, to be net zero by 2020. <laughs> While it's 2022, I don't think we have net zero buildings yet. Um, a net zero building would be a zero energy building. So basically, it costs no energy to, to run it. Um, so, you know, it's unfortunate that people want marble. You know, people want beautiful Calicutta marble. It's, it, it is still, when you're reading about, you know, a real estate page about a certain type of home, they're going to call out that they have a certain type of marble countertop and a certain type of like fancy plumbing faucets or kitchen faucets and terrazzo floors in the lobby. Like these things are, are status symbols and in, in the same way that Mercedes is a status symbol. So I think as long as people have, people want these things that if the economy supports it, they're going to continue to mine them. And, it um, the funny thing is, it's, it feels like it's a cyclical thing, right? I, at one point, marble was big, and then all of a sudden, the seventies came around, and everyone liked brick face and stucco, whatever. Uh, and then it seems like marble is now back. And I, I'm, I've lived in Detroit, and it, when I'm there now, you you recognize, wow, these these buildings like they're made from marble, literally, and. You're like, wow, people built like this. I mean, you you couldn't really afford to build a building today like you could, you know, back in the you know back in the '40s. So maybe it's cyclical. Maybe the trend is is changing. But I think um, in the future, is this a trend that's gonna that's here to stay, or where are we going? Well, that's a great question. I mean, one of the things that that's that I see in the future, and we're not quite there yet. But I think bioresins are something that are really interesting to look into. Um, there are some, some companies that have been experimenting with a, bio, uh, uh, a biological, meaning like a plant-based sort of um, additive to use instead of your polymers. Um, the problem is, is that they're not there yet. So meaning that they don't perform well yet. And they're incredibly cost prohibitive. So they're even it's even more expensive than like an epoxy, which right now the prices are escalating on that. But I think that that's, that's where we're kind of going from a scientific standpoint is like, how can we, how can we use nature to create these same sort of, uh, uh, the same sort of aesthetic without taking from the planet? And I think that's kind of the direction you're going. Um, I know with marble, you can, you can make um, a quartz material, like we, we actually manufacture a quartz line ourselves as well. And you can make quartz material that looks man-made, that looks exactly like 
almost exactly, not exactly, but almost exactly like marble. Um, and it doesn't have the same cachet, um, but they- But who's gonna know? <laughs> <laughs> but there are companies who are experimenting with using these bio resins as the binders in the court. So, so I think we are moving that direction and the architectural community really does push for that for as much, I mean, there are the um, Living Building Challenge for instance, or the, um, oh gosh, it's, it'll come to me in a second, but there's another metric that's much more stringent than LEED where you can't have any red list materials in your building. Um, the unfortunate thing is at this point for buildings to truly stand up and function, a little bit of petroleum-based materials or something that's coming from out of the, out of the ground or being manufactured um, by man and having a, a higher embodied energy is necessary to stick everything together. So we're not quite there yet, but we're going that direction. Well, it's interesting you talk about technology, you talk about chemistry as being a, uh, as being a way for your industry to move forward. I think from technology can be can be used in so many ways. I was just reading construction is 10% of GDP, but it's the second lowest industry when it comes to digitization of the flow of information, um, you know, where they're, um, where they're digitizing materials instead of digitizing data. And I think uh, like as other industries that over time, technology has allowed the supply chain to move more efficiently perhaps uh, costs to be to be uh, expensed more efficiently uh, I think that'll help the construction industry and will help your industry as well over time yeah I think that uh, I think that the well I think I recently read that construction is just above mining in terms of use of data and tech <laughs> which which actually it's kind of it doesn't sound like a compliment to me but no, <laughs> it I could be wrong because when I first started my very first outside sales job was for a plumbing a very high-end European plumbing manufacturer, and I was given a fax machine, and this was in the 2008, 2009, uh, and so... so you use it as a paperweight? What do you use it for? <laughs> plumbers were still faxing in 2009, so and that wasn't that long ago, so <laughs> we have a ways to go. So, so for those of us that are either thinking about renovating um, or are currently in a renovation project and thinking about materials, what are some of the tips that you can share for those that are perhaps less familiar with with uh, materials and less familiar with the space that you're that you're currently living in what are some tips that you can impart that can help people make better decisions about their material usage uh and uh, and their select yeah i think i think something that's really important is to first of all understand you know the the global the the, the environment we are in right now and to set your expectations for that properly um, you know, things are not as readily available, they're not as fast, and they're not as inexpensive as they were even three years ago, right? So you really need to set your expectations with that. Um, I think another thing that's important is to, uh, if you can do some research on the companies you're working with in terms of where they are sourcing raw materials. And also, you know, you want to partner with manufacturers who have your back in, in, in the sense of, um, a trustworthy product that is going to perform, that you know has high quality control, that you have somebody who can pick up the phone who's gonna help you out from the time you place the order until it is installed. That's something my company offers, and that's something that I think can kind of fall to the wayside when, when you're only looking at line items and price. It's like, oh, well, I could get it from XYZ company for $2 less a gallon, but 
do you have the same customer support? Do you have the same technical support? Do you have the same quality? It's really important. And is it made locally? Is it being made in the United States? I think that's really important to ask. I think those are all great points. And it sounds like your company does a great job of providing that kind of service to your customers. Um, as we wrap up, I was going to ask you, uh, because I came, uh, I had a different uh, route than you did in terms of career. I started on the corporate side and ended up on the entertainment side, doing acting, doing stand up and, uh, you know, podcasting and now writing. Now that you've gone into the corporate world and you've become very successful, you're a great company providing great product. Do you miss the theater? Is there a poll? Do you want to do? Are you a weekend? Are you a regional theater person? What's happened to that creative outlet for you? Yeah, well, I don't. I yeah, I just don't shut up. I just I just talk anybody's ear off because that's that's my stage. Um, no, I, I I am a very much an aficionado of the theater. I love to go and watch stand up. I love to support my friends who are still acting. I have friends who are in Broadway or in t on television shows and. So that's really cool. Um, for me, the acting bug is no longer in me. That's not to say that, um, you know, in, when I reach retirement age, I don't maybe won't try out for a community theater show or something. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, my, my outlet is my creative outlet is painting, painting, drawing. When you go to the theater, I know when I go to the movies now, I, I'm maybe a little more critical my eye when I'm looking the actors on screen because I know a lot of the tricks and a lot of the techniques and I've mm -hmm. I've been taught or learned or studied. When you go to the theater, is it the same thing? Can you enjoy it or are you critical? I'm finally at the place where I can enjoy it. Um, when I first moved here and would go to a Broadway show, I couldn't not analyze every single aspect that was going on from the lighting. Like, that's not real Toronto. <laughs> 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 yes, I'm very critical about Toronto now. But no, I, I'm finally at the point where I can enjoy it. But I do, I mean, I always, I would still love to write. To be honest, if there's anything that I would, I would go back to, it wouldn't be being a performer or being, being a writer. Um, that's something that I think is, it's definitely on the back burner. Well, that's so interesting. That's what I'm doing now. I, 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 I want to travel more uh, control over the creative process of what it is that I'm, the words that are coming out of my mouth kind of thing, you know? So, I mean, obviously the clearly the in front of the camera, behind the camera, in front of the scenes, behind the scenes, I think, um, on a terrazzo floor at all times. Exactly. And I think that as we ground the topic, literally, um, <laughs> and get back <laughs> into, <laughs> and get back into really understanding the, you know, the industry and the impact that you make in your company, which sounds fantastic. And I, I, I want to just echo the fact that what you said about customer service and the importance of that and the perception of the industry being there, there is no customer service. And basically, you're kind of rolling the dice and see what you get. Um, I think I love, I love hearing the importance that your company places on the relationship between um, the customer um, the, 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 the supplier, and then the, 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 the source, and, and then the respect, um, to the process, which is, which is, which is super. So I want to thank you, um, so much for taking the time to share with us and our listeners, uh, some insight into the world of materials, helping us understand the critical nature of it and the importance of how to think and select and, um, and being very determined about how you, um, about how you select the, the right materials for, for use. At the same time, addressing the scarcity issues and how we, um, what we can do to protect ourselves, be mindful of where, how, and when we get our, our materials. So thank you very much for that. Yeah, I want to thank you as well, Cameo, for coming on, giving us a real picture, real world, real time of what's going on for somebody who's in the supply chain situation and trying to provide the proper service and the proper materials and the proper quality to what has been a huge boom in construction and real estate mobility over the last two years. So thank you very much.
Thank you so much for having me. This has been a lot of fun. You've been listening to The Real Estate Podcast. Give us a quick review and rating on iTunes. Check out our website at therealestate.co and let us know if there are any new topics you'd like to hear us address. We love hearing your feedback. See you next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.